Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh, oh my God. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. Papa. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. Hey, hey, The phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Today, we are talking to a real-life dragon. In fact, he is here to defend people in the dark. Dragon, welcome. All right, I got a dragon in the house. Is dad going to be here? He listens to the episode after it's edited down, and then he and I have a conversation about it after. It's like our little special time after each episode. It's such a cool idea. We we were talking about it today. And uh, I mean, my whole, you'll see, my whole life revolves around my role as a dad. Ooh, I definitely want to know about that. Let's start there. It's an interesting thing to ask somebody what their goals are in life and what they aspire to be. And I think most people, in fact, that's what I help people do is kind of navigate. And, you know, just like most people, I wanted what I thought everybody was supposed to want. I wanted to be happier, healthier, wealthier. I wanted to be significant and all that stuff, but I never knew what it was attached to. But through my whole life experience, which we'll probably get into, what I identified after I've been through everything, I've been broke, I've been rich, I've been happy, I've been sad. I've learned a lot of life lessons. I'm a a 50-year-old dragon right now. What I recognized is that, you know, what my ultimate goal is in life is to be a good father. But how do you know if you're a good father? You can get feedback from your kids and stuff like that. But uh, the only way I can measure it is the visual is that, you know, I've got these two boys that are bigger than me now. And then I've got my little girl. And my goal is always associated with visual of them saying, that's my dad. If we get into it, you'll find out that that's typically attached to me having daddy problems. (laughs) Have you gotten them to say that ever? I actually heard, I went through, you know, I went through a big transformation of health and I got fit. And I heard one of my kids one time without him knowing I was listening, I heard him tell his friend that he says, my dad could kick your dad's ass. And that was pretty cool. I love that. (laughs) That was a big shining moment in my life. I've done a lot of big things, but that was one of the biggest. Nice. Yeah. Wow. You have lost 80 pounds. I read on your LinkedIn. That is not easy to do. Yeah. And that's a big part of the whole rise of the dragon, you know, concept. That's kind of one of those things I practiced as a chiropractor for about 17 years. And there's some crazy stories in there. I mean, I took care of Royal Prince of Abu Dhabi. I, you know, I, I chiropractor for the Rangers. I was also known as the heavy metal chiropractor because I took care of anthrax and a lot of fun stories there. But what happened to me in that aspect of my life is I became a workaholic. And, you know, this is all attached to, to being a dad, by the way, you know, because you can't be a good dad if you're a workaholic. But being a workaholic is justified by trying to be a good dad and bringing home the bacon and all that stuff. So I was very, very successful as a chiropractor, but I was working about 90 hours a week. And as a result of that and the stress associated with it, oh, let's just see all the wonderful things attached to that. Well, I got divorced, which doesn't make you a good dad. I never saw my kids. So I always said most important thing is my kids and I never saw them. So I went through bouts of depression. So the way I would self-medicate myself was not drugs or alcohol, it was food. So here I am as this health professional 
totally out of shape and depressed. So, you know, you have to have an awakening and a window of opportunity, and you got to be able to see the opportunities that come. I found this amazing program and I just, Stella got her groove back. And then I flipped a switch in that moment and recognized that the reason why I was actually eating stupid things and doing all that was because of the lifestyle I was living. So I made a decision to just completely drop and retire chiropractic and become a coach. And that was 14 years ago. And now 14 years later, you know, I've got my podcast and I'm writing books and doing all this fun stuff. But my wife and I, my new wife, we now 14 years later have like 400,000 clients. I've trained and certified 8,000 coaches and we built this massive health coaching company within that. And it's crazy. I did do a little bit of background research on you. And one thing that sticks out in my mind is that you said you used to hate your birthday because uh, you yeah. walked in on your parents talking about getting divorced. Before I, I learned any of the lessons, the proper way to tell the story is I think I was 36. I'm 50. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, I flipped a switch and went from being the most confident person that you ever knew borderline cocky. And then boom, something happened. And I completely lost my confidence. And I experienced what most people would call the dark side, full circle to the point where I find myself sitting in a chair in front of the person that I never wanted to see in my life. And that was this therapist. And we're sitting there talking about why I want to end my life. And that happened within like two months. So what an interesting experience that was. But what happened in that moment, I and I was totally against therapy and all that stuff. Now, for, for the listeners, you got to understand that you're meeting me in my polished state where I've got physical, mental, and financial well-being. I do what I want when I want. Here I am kicking and screaming. My mom, who's totally worried about me, brings me to this therapist. And the therapist starts asking me questions in this chair. And I'm just like, oh, I'd rather just die than even talk to her. So she starts asking me these questions about like, how did this start? Right. And I'm like, oh, it just started. I don't know. It just started. But then she kept asking, you know, Socratic method, and she was doing a little bit of psychodynamic therapy. She was kind of going into my past. And I said, you know, it started in July. It started in July. It's been about two months, I told her. And then she goes, well, what's significant about July? And I said, I don't know. I mean, it's my birthday. And she goes, so is there anything about your birthday? And I said to her, oh, I hate my birthday. I always get depressed. I don't want anyone to get me gifts and all that. And she's like, whoa. You know, she's like, interesting. So she's, she kept going down that rabbit hole. One, one session, long story short, she starts asking me about my family and all that stuff. And she unpacks out of my file cabinet, something that I completely was unaware of. Cause I, you know, as a kid, I hit it that at 11 years old, this was a big moment for, for the dragon. As a matter of fact, I, my name was not dragon until this moment. She brings me to recognize that I was 11 years old and I walk in the house on my birthday. My mom's at the bottom of the stairs in her undies crying. And I said, what's wrong, mom? 11. And she goes, your father's leaving us. And A, I don't even know what that means. I'm 11. I don't see my dad too much because my dad travels all over. I didn't know what it meant. So I just blocked it. And then the next thing that I did is I said, hey, can I go out and play with my friends? So because I recognized my birthday was forgotten. So as a kid, I just packed it. So long story short, I had to go explain to my friends, that there's no birthday and all that stuff. So what I did at that age is I just dissolved it and didn't know that full circle when I became 36 is when it would resurface and I was going to become depressed. So a lot of what I do now with my work with clients 
and my book that's coming out and my courses and stuff has a lot to do with teaching people how to experience what I call the snap. Because as soon as I made that correlation, I was fine. I was back again. And I made a decision that day, just from that one session, that I was A, never going to feel like that again, and B, never going to let anybody else feel like that again. So that was my, that was how my journey started. And that's how your name came to be too, right? Like the dragon is about taking people out of the darkness. There's this whole concept of the monster in the closet, right? Or under the bed and stuff. And I talk a lot about the fact in my podcast that most of the things that we fear don't actually exist. The reason why I adopted the name Dragon was twofold. One, I've become somebody today that back then I would have considered to be mythical, unbelievable. And then the second one is, is it's one thing to learn how to slay a dragon, but it's another to like become friends with it to the point where you are one. So when, when I say I'm Dragon, that's my way of saying like, I'm at peace with my dark side. Do you feel like you've rewired your brain? Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. And that's all I teach people how to do. Yeah. Can you give me a little of that? I'll put a thought in your head. And, and if anybody digs on this, they can listen to the podcast because the podcast goes heavy into all this stuff. Most people can kind of like decide what they want. Everybody wants to be happier, healthier, wealthier. Everybody's a seeker of the earth, but they all struggle with executing it, right? So what prevents people from getting what they want, concepts that they have, and the way they perceive and respond to stuff. I call them happenings. We wake up, we're motivated. The time is right. We believe in ourselves, we go after a diet or making more money or building a podcast or whatever. And then all of a sudden something happens and it throws us off track. We get bummed out. So there's a whole science and neurology. I'm, I'm into neuroscience of why that happens. But if you peel it back, I believe the most powerful thing that you can do as a human being is develop a more efficient and effective response system to stuff. I call it the interface response system, which ironically is the IRS. What it means is, is that we're interfacing with things all day, good and bad, but our ability to respond to it and say, this doesn't matter, this does, this is out of my control. That's how you stay on track in life. So I teach people that system. Yeah, I heard you say something about we descend from like cave people and like, yeah. you know, we used to run away from tigers, we used to run away from T-Rexes, and sometimes we yeah. respond like that to just things that we shouldn't. I actually yeah. like that. I've Think talked about, about that with this. my son. I like that. It's really interesting because a big part of my system is teaching people that it's okay to be scared and have emotions and stuff. It's not your fault because you're wired that way. And I love to give people the visual of forget about like running when you see a like a saber tooth tiger or a dinosaur. How about sitting in your cave with your like cave husband and cave child and you have to have a conversation and like without like a clock or anything, you have to make a, make a determination of when the, the animals that kill you are asleep or awake, because you got to go out and forage for food when they're asleep. So just imagine how important your stress response system was like you hear a twig break and you get the hell out of there, right? So that's the way we're wired. Now, even though here we are, and we have like refrigerators and toilets and like we can go to like the frozen food section and get meat, you know, like nobody's trying to kill us right now. But the same system can get activated when you have a bill or you have a breakup or somebody that, you know, says something mean to you, we respond the same way. So that's a big part of it is recognizing that's happening and being okay with it, embracing it, 
but also recognizing that you get to decide what happens next. You can either buy into those scary things and give it value like the monster, or you can just do what I teach everybody. Here's the most magical thing I can teach anybody. It's just to make this sound really simple. Anytime something happens, rather than reacting, you just go, huh. And what happens? Think about it. What does it mean when I go, huh? It means interesting, not sure, right? Processing. Going to take a little second here. And it's called cognitive distancing. When you distance yourself from your knee-jerk reaction, which is an automatic response, what you do is gain access to the more rational part of your brain and you make a rational decision like, oh, that has nothing to do with me or, oh, it's pretend and stay on track. So once a human being learns how to stay on track, they start crushing life. So that's it's so a- hard to do when you're in the car with a screaming child that wants a donut that Dunkin' Donuts has on the menu, but doesn't have in stock. Well, I wouldn't know what that's like. You get to a point as a parent, and I'm sure you understand that when your kid is doing that, you can quote the Bible and say, forgive them for they know not what they do. Meaning they're just reacting because they're unconscious. So once again, when my kids do stupid shit, what I do is I go, huh, it drives them crazy, but they know what I'm doing is, is that I'm like waiting. And it gives me time to say, oh, well, what else are they going to do with their kids? And the donut is more important than like life. And then I get an opportunity to laugh at it and say, you guys are so funny. And also, don't you take a little bit of responsibility and you're like, oh, I taught them that? Yeah, of course. But then that would be you thinking, we're getting heavy quick on on the Better Call Daddy show. That would be you creating a concept that the situation is happening to you and you're a victim of it. So another opportunity when you feel that feeling of feeling responsible for screwing up your kids or teaching them or another, huh, and then have the opportunity to say, oh, that's not true. I'm doing the best that I can. So I teach people how to become conscious of what's actually going on. And that's part of the system. You know, you've got your amygdala that fires off an alarm and it sells the idea to your hippocampus where your memories are. And then your prefrontal cortex comes in and buys in and you're fucked. <laughs> so that's what I teach people to be aware of. And then you can make decisions. You can create your own fantasy. Have you been able to patch things up with your dad? Oh man, because my dad left us, I, of course I experienced abandonment and I went on this rampage of just blaming my dad for anything that ever happened. The last thing I wanted to hear is when somebody says, you remind me of your dad. Worst thing you could say to me. So I went through this period like that. But then once I started to do this work, I started to realize that I don't really even know him. How could I make a generalization? I knew that he didn't make an effort to spend time with me, but I didn't know why. I observed what he was doing and I went, huh. And rather than saying that bastard, I called him up and I said, I'm going to come visit you. And he was like, huh? Because, you know, he, I didn't know how he felt, but it turns out he felt awful, right? I go out there and I sit down in front of my dad and I take a tape recorder and I press it and I go, tell me about you. I started to learn everything about my dad and his whole history. I wrote a book on it and it's just unbelievable. My, my father's father was personal friends with Charlie Chaplin and Pablo Picasso and all these amazing stories that, and I, what I realized is that my dad had no love from his dad. His father never told him once that he loved him. In this moment, I said, fuck, my dad's doing a way better job with me than his dad did with him. In that moment, I was able to radically forgive him and he and I became best friends. And now I travel to France five, six times a year 
and just my dad and I, he's kind of, he's not doing well. He's got some cancer and things like that. But my dad and I are, are going to F1 races all over the world and, and, you know, the Tour de France and all this stuff. And it's, it's the great, great part of my life. Oh my God. That, that cool? is your, incredible. your dad's right. Right now your dad's saying he's a good boy. <laughs> I'm also curious, like, how did you break the divorce to your kids? Yeah. So that sucks. Fortunately enough, they were young. Like I remember, but I'm very sensitive to telling a young child something. Right. But my kids were like four and six. And I remember I thought the world was going to end. And, and you should know that if you ever die and come back to life, you want to be my ex-wife because she gets, she's the luckiest woman alive. She and I are best friends. She's my highest paid employee. My wife now and her are great friends, shiny, happy family. She's got a great, great fiance right now. So it, it was for the better. But at that time, I, when we broke the news to the kids, I thought I was going to die, you know, because that was the most important thing. And then I had to move out and all that stuff. But what I did was I recognized what my dad didn't do. It gave me the ability to, in front of my kids, I focused on taking very good care of their mother. If my kids were here, 18 and 16, my boys, I think they would agree. What happened though? Like, why did you guys get divorced? So I was going through a massive personal growth phase. I started a worldwide humanitarian organization. I'm in Haiti for the earthquakes. And I'm like going out there to save the world. And she just wanted a safe, balanced life. So we grew apart. It just got to the point where we both were like, I think there's supposed to be more to marriage than we have. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. Don't get offended, but I'm like, no, your you dad's a workaholic. You yep. became a workaholic. Your dad awesome. got divorced. You got yep. divorced. Like, did you guys talk about all of this? Absolutely. And before I became conscious, I unconsciously bought into the fact that I was programmed to do those things. You know, like when you come from that kind of an upbringing, when you, you say, I'm never going to get divorced, right? But all of a sudden, when it starts to happen, you justify it's because of him. Like it's in my blood. I remember one time my mom said to me, she goes, sweetie, don't be so hard on yourself. The men in this family are not good at marriage, <laughs> right? So that's kind of like the programming. And one of the things I teach people now is to become conscious that most of the shots you're calling in life are coming from this brain that's been programmed, but you didn't program it. Your mother, your father, your teacher, and your preacher, and the highlight reel of social media and whatever you consume programs your brain. And if you think about it, every morning when you boot up your program, you're not booting up a present time program, you're booting up yesterday. So it's very hard for people to break free from their automatic programmed perceptions and responses. So that's the whole concept of the interface response system is, and you know, that's not the health coaching company, but that's my book. The interface response system is to reprogram the brain. Now I want to know how you met the chicken. Yeah, this is the best. I started this health coaching company. I became very, very successful, but I was single for about seven years. I got to a point where I was like, my mom's right. I suck at this, right? I started to focus on my health, my work, and I was also kind of obsessively being a dad. So I didn't really feel like I needed. And I also bought into this idea that I was never going to find the right one. I decided to go online and, and sign up for these apps. And I'm just like swiping, right? So I went on a bunch of dates and it was exhausting. And it's kind of, you know, that story. I'm at the end of that and I, I'm on Bumble. 
and I see this girl. She doesn't look like anybody I've ever dated. She's attractive, but different and unique. She got blonde hair. And all it says in her profile is it says South African sex coach. That's it. She and I met and we were perfect to each other. So we're, we're peas in a pod and we travel all over and we're, we laugh at, at life. When we first started to date, unbeknownst to her, what I want you to know is that I was having these vivid dreams for those seven years that I had a daughter as a baby, as a toddler, walking her down the aisle, the whole thing, same girl to the point where I could draw a picture of her. I, it was just two, three times a week. You don't tell people you're dreaming about a little girl. You know what I mean? So like it was my secret, but it was a pleasant dream, right? I would wake up smiling. So full circle, two weeks into my relationship with the chicken, she says to me, she goes, listen, we're getting serious fast. Like she moved in like a week into this and we're, we've been inseparable. She says, we're getting serious. You got to know some things about me. And I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem. You know, whatever, whatever it is, I take it. So she goes a year and a half ago, my sister tragically died. Very sad story. She goes, when she died, she left behind her little girl, my niece, and I'm adopting her. And when she said that, I just got like cold and clammy. Now, she thought I was going to run from that, but I was like, ooh, this is getting weird, right? I say, can I see the picture? And I swear, hand to God, it's the girl that I've been dreaming of. And when I met her, her name's Lexi, but we call her Ducky, Chicken Dragon Ducky. She's 11 years old now. We're battling to get her over here. You asked me if, if we had succeeded yet. We've adopted her, but we can't get her over here because of all this insanity. That's a whole other story. I don't want to go below the line. But when we met, we were just automatically, she had been dreaming about me. She never had a father and she's my life. Unbelievable. So I'm back and I believe in magic. I believe in love and all that stuff. But what I'm dedicated to doing is kind of helping people unlock themselves from their mental prison. You know, I, I always say that human beings have what's called a gateless gate, meaning there's a gate holding them in that doesn't really exist. They, they've created it. So I love helping people learn how to open that gate and start experiencing life. Wow. That's yeah. an incredible story. Crazy. That is crazy. I totally thought she looked like you also in that video. Oh, that's right. You saw the videos. Yeah, she's so funny. Oh, she's so she's a whip. I saw the sass. I was like, nice. Yeah, you yeah. know, you've got a daddy's girl, too. Well, we have to be careful. So, you know, I know that you always invite us to ask a question to your dad. So that's in the realm of the question I'll have. All right. Ask it away. Ask it away. Because I don't I've never had a daughter. Right. So my question to you, Wayne, would be this. At what age did you allow them to start dating? And what were the parameters? Oh my God. You know what that reminds me of? I swear I would go on dates and my dad would be waiting up on the couch in his underwear. I kid you not. And I'm like, oh my God, that's my dad. Roll up a little further. You know? That's so funny. So embarrassing. But yeah. When a human being is talking about something that is not that relevant, they'll, they'll continue to look at the person. But when they go to their dream state, like you are, when you talk about your dad, you look up and you go like this. And which means that you're not just talking about him, you're going back and reliving those moments and feeling them. That means you love him. That is really cool. Yeah, yeah. he's totally my best friend. I think I honestly talk to him like every single day. Well, apparently, look at your podcast name. <laughs>
been a pleasure. This has been amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Have a great night. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. Well, what an interesting story you sent me. The funny part is, is that uh, he's using the name Dragon, and it seems like the trauma when he was 11 years old on his birthday really put him in a dungeon for quite a few years of his life. And until he really released that incident and was able to understand it, and then, of course, he has been able to move on in his life and really make the changes necessary to get himself really a new life and to try to recapture the love and value of life. And he had to really fix himself, didn't he? He did. I think it's very terrible or parents that are getting divorced. In this case, his mother, that daddy is leaving us. You know, you have in the back of your mind that your dad now is has some kind of problem with the child or with, with him, you know, and that's not necessarily fair or right. Look how when he decided to really find out who his father was all about. He found out the way he grew up and how his father really didn't give his father the right kind of attention or love. And it, it can go on for a couple of generations, these mistakes. And uh, isn't that what your father also preaches, is that the generation that you're in isn't the only thing that's part of your legacy of your life. You are a continuum of previous generations and influencing future generations, whether you like it or not. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Thank you.